Hello, Wanderers. I'm Jess. And I'm Hannah. And welcome to Wicked Wanderings. Well, hello again, Hannah. Hello, Jess. My episode today is on a subject that you know I've been talking about for a while. The Salem Witch Trials. Yay! It's like the start of spooky season. I know. So this is perfect. It will be a couple episodes just because that's how I roll. Well, it's a pretty big thing. Big thing. Absolutely. You grew up in Massachusetts. I did. I did not. I'm a mass hole. (laughs) I am now. I've lived here 11 years. (laughs) You're you're definitely a mass hole now. I'm a mass hole now. (laughs) Sweet. When you think of witches in Massachusetts, what comes to mind? Salem. Salem, yeah. Surprisingly, and I'm sure you're going to get into this, but I always think of burning at the stake, even though that never happened in Salem. So I think that's interesting. Women wrongly accused. Yes. Really, women that were so independent or thought differently or lived by themselves, and they were just kind of persecuted for that. Yeah. Like I said, I wasn't born or raised here, so I only have learned snippets from history books and movies. Starting this research, at least from those people who aren't in Massachusetts, it's completely different than what I thought it was going to be. I used to joke about when I moved here, people would try to defend Massachusetts. I'm like, well, I've heard you hang people here. So. <laughs> we do a lot of things. We, we throw tea at people here. Yes. We do, uh, what was that? Big uh, shooting thing that happened in Boston back in the 1700s. Oh, the Boston Massacre? Yeah, there you go. That makes sense. <laughs> so, since you mentioned it, I have to share this story. My husband's going to be so mad that I'm sharing this. When I first moved here, my family came to visit me, my, my older brother, and we did the Freedom Trail, you know, everything oh, yeah. you do in Boston. Yeah. And we went to the site of the Boston Massacre. And he's like, man, all those people that died. And I'm like, what, Five? And he's like, it was only five people. My whole childhood was a lie. <laughs> but, I mean, five people back then was a lot. Yeah. And that was propaganda. Anyway, that's for another episode. <laughs> <laughs> but did you know that the witch panic began much earlier in Massachusetts and that Salem was only the beginning of the end? Huh. So I wonder why it gets more publicity than what you're going to talk about next. After doing the research, I think Salem, these other stories were like a precursor Mm. and everything led up to it. And so my goal of this was to find out how it got so crazy for Salem to happen. Yeah. Because before this, if people were accused and they went to court about it, they were so by the book that if there was not a couple of witnesses that could testify to the same story or physical evidence then they would be acquitted. And that was not the case in Salem. Yeah. I set out to share my story of the Salem witch trials because I thought I was related to one of the accusers, Mary Warren. And I found out during my research that I am related to a Mary Warren, but not the Mary Warren from the witch trials. So I know I was kind of bummed about that. (laughs) But then after reading about Mary Warren, she was kind of, she's a little crazy. (laughs) So I'm kind of glad that I'm not related to that Mary Warren. (laughs) Apparently, there was a Mary Warren around the same age that lived in Watertown, Massachusetts. Interesting. I mean, Mary was a very popular name. Yeah. Yes. We'll find that out. Let's get started. 
I wonder how something so crazy and ridiculous could happen in a time where children were supposed to be seen and not heard. Mm. Uh, Same as women. Women were considered property. We couldn't have opinions. They are the ringleaders of all these accusations. Mm. And all of these stories intrigues me to find out why so much weight was put on these children's actions and stories. So to me, the Salem witch trials came at the end of a perfect storm of religion, fear of the devil, perceived signs from God and the devil, neighbor conflict sprinkled with a shitload of hysteria. So I'm going to start at the very beginning because, you know, it's a very good place to start. (laughs) Don't worry, guys, I'll be here all week. (laughs) At least the beginning in Massachusetts, there were some witchcraft trials in Connecticut before, but I'm just going to focus on Massachusetts just because, one, we live here, and two... That's where a lot of people know because of Salem. And Massachusetts carried the brunt of it because of Salem. So it actually started in Charlestown, which is the oldest neighborhood in Boston. And it's on the peninsula. I said that weird peninsula. (laughs) Peninsula. Peninsula, north of the Charles River across from downtown Boston. So in 1628, according to the Charlestown Historical Society, the Massachusetts Bay Company received a patent for settlement along the Massachusetts coastline. So this is what brings the Puritans to Salem. What year was this again? 1628. Okay. So 300 settlers were sent to Salem to stake the claim. Thomas Graves, an engineer, was also sent to Salem to prepare for a larger settlement. And he leads 100 settlers to what would become Charlestown. And he directed, at this point in time in history, the colonists are still being attacked by the Native Americans. So he built a fort to protect them. And in 1630, and this date will come up in the future, in 1630, Governor John Winthrop showed up with a thousand Puritan settlers in June in Charlestown. And it was the first capital of Massachusetts Bay Colony until many of the settlers, including Governor John Winthrop, migrated over to what is now Boston. So by 1648, there are roughly 150 households in Charlestown, and one of the residents is Margaret Jones. So there's not as much information about her as the other ones I'm going to be talking about in these episodes, but I felt that she is important because she's the first one. First person to be executed for mass... for whiz... (laughs) My brain needs to catch up with my mouth or vice versa. (laughs) She is the first person to be executed for witchcraft in Massachusetts. Also, with Margaret's story, we will be able to see how the Puritans' obsession with signs, whether of God or the devil, affect their behavior and how it leads to the fiasco that is Salem. So, she was a midwife and a healer, and according to Malcolm Gaskill, author of The Ruin of All Witches, stated that Margaret had quarreled with her neighbors, and that when things that she supposedly bewitched would start on fire, she would come over and act concerned. Hmm. You know, like any person with a soul would. But it doesn't mean she bewitched them or that she's a witch. Sorry if I'm skipping ahead on you, but Mm -hmm. something, an interesting fact that I didn't know, and my brother actually told me this, was that one of the reasons that um, one of the myth of witches is that they eat children is because... A lot of women that were accused of witchcraft were midwives, right? 
You know, I didn't, I haven't read about that. That would be interesting. Yeah. I'll have to ask him again about it, but I thought that was so interesting that, you know, you see like a uh, hocus pocus yeah. and they're always going out like, I smell children. Well, apparently it's because the witches were usually midwives. That's where they got the whole, while well, they're eating our children thing. Interesting. Yeah. She's the first one that I know of in my short time researching this that was a midwife i'll have to ask but those words will probably come back to bite me in the ass later (laughs) but we'll we'll cross that bridge when we get there so she would quarrel and have angry words with her neighbors which caused her to be suspected of witchcraft so god forbid you have an argument right i'm pretty sure if i lived back in the 17th century i would be hung as a witch just saying yeah probably We'll come to find that all of this is a common theme in the stories that I tell you about witchcraft. For a majority of the cases that we talk about, there's going to be some neighbor conflict in which the neighbors start to watch their behavior. And hmm, this is kind of odd. So word on the street is that Miss Margaret could tell the f- foretell the future. And apparently she had a teat in her secret parts. The what? A teat in her secret parts, you heard me correctly, which is something that is supposedly common among witches. And to further explain teats, I need to first talk about imps. So the devil, according to this book I read, after meeting with, offering desires to, and in some cases copulating with all these witches, he realized he couldn't be everywhere at the same time. This Puritan devil was a busy man in the 17th century. Uh, Yeah. Sounds like it. So this busy Puritan devil with too many bitches to handle on his own (laughs) relied on an army of imps. These imps come in many shapes and sizes. They can be insects, rodents, reptiles, dogs, and even children. These imps were thought to seal the deal with Satan's human followers by feeding at the teats on their bodies. (laughs) And I just have to say that whoever thought this shit up must have been a closet perv back in the day creating his deviant fantasy in the hysteria of witchcraft. I mean, in my opinion, why are teats in their private parts? (laughs) Well, like who's checking it? We'll get there. Oh my word. (laughs) That becomes also a common thing. These imps would suckle from the witch's teat for nourishment and a teat could be considered anything abnormal on the body. A third nipple, a large mole, a skin tag. But these imps are also known as familiars, which will come up more often in Salem. During Salem, they're referenced to more as familiars than imps. And that their real purpose is to remind the witch of her contract and to stop her thinking about the consequences of her actions. So Margaret supposedly had a connection with a familiar slash imp in the shape of a little child. I guess that could kind of go with what you said your brother was talking about. I'm not I'm not sure. Like I said, Margaret also had a teat in her secret parts. What is horrific about this and during the Salem witch trials is that these women were searched by other women from head to toe, including their secret parts, to find anything that can be considered a teat. That is just really an invasion of privacy. Yeah, especially in a time where... I mean, I guess I can't really speak to it because I wasn't there, but people didn't bathe that often. No. Yeah. So Margaret was put on trial in 1648. This is the evidence from Governor John Winthrop's journal from the trial. So number one, the first one, she was found to have a malignant touch. Whomever she touched with any affection or displeasure was taken with deafness or vomiting or violent pains or sickness. 
Okay, how common are these like bouts of sickness? I know germs weren't really a thing known then. People didn't bathe, they didn't wash their hands. But like, was it right after she touched them they started puking? Or, and like, that doesn't make sense to me. I remember we both read The Witches. The Witches by, by Stacey, Stacey Sh- Schiff. What it is? It's actually right behind so. you. I know. I was look. I was looking the top shelf, all the way to the right. No, uh, the uh, the other shelf. Yeah, oh, right there. <laughs> Stacy Schiff. I Stacey was right. Schiff. Yes. Now I lost my train of thought. We both read that book, and it was something about symptoms. Oh yeah. So when they were talking about even like the convulsions that these girls were having, I mean, you can you can make yourself throw up. Yeah, and you can make yourself look like you're convulsing or passing out. Mm-hmm. And there was no, I mean, the medical field was definitely not anywhere where it is right now. So, no. I mean, they couldn't tell if someone was faking. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, which is part of my issue with the whole Salem witch trial right. is that they took these behaviors as fact. Right. And, and like, so, have you seen Monty Python, the Holy Grail? <sighs> yes, this is an unpopular opinion, but I hated that movie. <gasps> okay. Well, I mean, it has a lot of good one liners, but. <laughs> The ending, I was like, that's it? It's a, They ran out of money. I know, but still. All right. Well, it's a cult classic, and I love it. But, but they have a good good one-liners that I use. So. <laughs> okay, so when they were accusing the woman of being a witch, and the guy was like, she turned me into a newt. And they all look at him. He's like, well, I got better. It's like half these people were like, oh, I saw her turn into a cow, or I saw her turn into a dog. And they're like, but like, well, well she got better, obviously, or she fixed it. It's obviously. Like, and then they took it as fact. Yeah. Yep. It's ridiculous. That's terrible. You don't like Monty Python. I like. I don't. Parts. I don't know if we can be friends anymore. It's kind oh. of a deal breaker. It's only a flesh wound. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that was actually funny. So Margaret was also a practicing physic, physician, or healer, and according to her, her medicines were harmless, but they had violent effects. Okay, so which one is it? Are they harmless, or did they cause violent effects? So this one is kind of confusing to me. I had to read it a couple times. So she would tell use, this is straight from another book I read. It's um, Entertaining Satan, also a good book about the sandwich trials, which I'll talk more about later. She would use to tell such as would not make use of her physic, that they would never be healed, and accordingly their diseases and hurts continued and beyond the apprehension of all physicians and surgeons. Does that make sense to you? No. (laughs) Basically, what Winthrop was trying to say is that when people refused to take her medical advice, their diseases and hurts continued. Um, Well, duh. Duh. Yeah. I mean, the doctor's like, all right, do this and you don't do it. I mean, (laughs) but they blamed her. They thought that she was like basically hexing them for not getting better. Yeah. Stay with us. We'll be right back. A sincere expression of gratitude to our esteemed patrons. Lynn from Massachusetts, Heather from New Jersey, Chelsea from Utah, Kate from Massachusetts, Margie from Connecticut, Courtney from Massachusetts, Amber from Idaho, and Stephanie from Massachusetts for their generous monthly contributions. Their support fuels the engine of our investigative endeavors here at Wicked Wanderings. You too can become a valued patron and unlock a realm of exclusive content by supporting our mission for as little as $3 a month. Your contribution sustains our commitment to delivering high-quality content. Visit WickedWanderingsPodcast.com and click on the support tab to join the ranks of our dedicated patrons. 
Your investment not only keeps our podcast thriving, but also ensures that you are at the forefront of our intriguing discoveries with bonus content only available for those patron subscribers. Thank you for considering this opportunity to deepen your engagement with Wicked Wanderings. Your support is paramount in enabling us to continue our journey into the realms of And now back and to the shit show. Oh, well, we didn't follow her advice, so she got mad, and she bewitched me, and that's why I'm not getting better. Damn. These (laughs) people were something else. Right? So Winthrop mentions that the teat, along with the familiar, I don't know why I like to say this word teat, (laughs) along with her ability to foretell the future, weren't the reasons why she was charged and convicted. What it was was most likely her medical dealings that eventually led to her conviction. Right, right, Mr. Winthrop. So Margaret was convicted of witchcraft and was executed by hanging on June 15, 1648. And her husband was also suspected, but he was never charged. He probably didn't have any angry words against his neighbors, just saying. I, I feel like I noticed that in the in the witch's book, too, that there were husbands that were accused by, I think, only one man, mm-hmm. right? And Salem got No, um, two. Two? Three. Uh, well, more so got two were hung and then one was crushed to death that's right yeah i remember eating that one too Mm -hmm. it's crazy they were warlocks supposedly right so the next two cases i want to mention or talk about are in our neck of the woods so good old western mass besides taking place in western mass they also have something else in common they share the same name if your name was mary parsons in 17th century massachusetts you doomed. So the first Mary Parsons I will be talking about is Mary Lewis Parsons. And that's how we'll keep them separated by including their maiden name. Malcolm Gaskill's book, like I mentioned before, The Ruin of All Witches, which is really good. I'm so excited to read it. You should be. It's very informative. His book is the only book that I found that's all about this case which I didn't even know about. It gives a lot of historical information about Springfield, as well as some good details regarding the case, which eventually led to Mary and her husband, Hugh, being tried for witchcraft. Not a lot is known about Mary Lewis's life. She was born around 1610 in the Welsh Marches, which were wild borderlands between England and Wales that had patchwork of traditions bound in folklore and magic. Which, to me, after learning that... It makes me believe that the way she was raised kind of contributes to what she becomes later. She grew up aware of witchcraft, but did not witness anybody being punished for it. When Mary was in her late teens, she married a Catholic man named, possibly named David Lewis. And when the author says it like that, I'm assuming that they've gone through like genealogical records and finding names that kind of match that yeah. could possibly be. I mean, it's 1600, so there's not a lot of information. So David conformed to the Church of England and expected his wife to convert and threatened her when she resisted. David eventually abandoned her in the late 1630s, leaving Mary alone. She had searched for him and even hired someone to look for him, but he did not want to be found, apparently. So he wanted her to convert to Catholicism? Mm-hmm. Do we know what she was before that? No, I am not sure, actually. And it was Wales she was born in? Mm-hmm. Interesting. 
This was during the time or the beginning of the time when Catholicism and Protestant were at heads in England. Right. Between like, what was it, the Tudors and uh, the other family? This is during Elizabeth I. I don't know when the Tudors were. I haven't. It's been a while since I've read a... It's been a while. Gregory book or whatever her name is. Oh, yeah. I have a couple of those over there, too. So they were married for 10 years, and I say so a lot, so I apologize. Wait a minute. They were together almost 10 years, and he let it go that long, and he was okay with it, and then he decided he was going to leave her? Yep. That that doesn't make any sense. He's a douche. What do you say? Douche canoe? Douche canoe. <laughs> douche canoe is for people that murder. Oh, I don't know it. if David is a murderer. But he abandoned Mary, leaving her alone. But they didn't have any children, so I guess there's a silver lining, if there can be one. And by the 1640s, after finding another religious, more accepting religious group where she spent her time after her husband deserted her, she booked a passage on a ship for America. So back then, you had to have, like, a recommendation to move to the Massachusetts Bay Colony, which is interesting. And one of the priests that was in her church recommended her to William Pynchon, who was actually the founder of Springfield. Oh. Yeah, so his name will be coming up. Um, She briefly lived in Dorchester in his plantation Dorchester. there. Dorchester. Dorchester. I'm still working on my accent. <laughs> At least I can say Worcester now. <laughs> That took me a while. And even Worcestershire sauce. Did you say Worcester when you first got here? Probably. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm one of those. Don't judge me. <laughs> so he was the founder of Springfield and he needed workers for his plantation there. She arrived in Springfield in 1641, either by boat or the Bay Path. Did you know? I know we see signs and buildings and everything called Bay Path. But did you know that that's because it was the path? That was from Springfield to Boston. That was called the Bay Path. Is that why it's Bay Path University? Yep. I went there for my grad degree. And Did actually, recently, someone was like, do you know why they call it Bay Path? I was like, I don't know. Well, now you know. It's because that was the name of the path from Springfield to Boston. How fun is that? Yep. We're full of, like, really interesting information tonight. Right. Like these little tidbits. Right? That's why I love history. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, the Bay Path was 100 miles of rough, forested terrain through lands of numerous Native American tribes. And the trip took four to five days, depending on the weather. I mean, it feels like it takes four to five days to get through Worcester sometimes. Uh, Yeah, get me started. (laughs) So Mary makes it to Springfield and is the maidservant to William Pynchon's daughter, Anne Smith, and her children. Now, like I said, Springfield was founded by Pynchon, and he was involved in everything. He only allowed a certain number of settlements, which he didn't want more than 50. And if anyone wanted to live in Springfield at the time, they had to go through Pynchon and he had to approve it. You couldn't just move here and buy land. So, huh. yeah. Pynchon was born in a village of Riddle, Essex, England in October of 1590. I almost said 1950. <laughs> 1590, he was a man of status, but when his father died, the estate was split up between eight children and not directly to William, who was his oldest son, which is weird. Eight children? Holy Um, He received land about five miles away from where he was living. And can you guess of where, what the name of the place was? Apath? Springfield. Oh. Oh. Close. (laughs) (laughs) I was going with the whole Apath theme and then, yeah. He married Anne Andrew in 1618 and had four children. 
Because of the political and religious unrest of England at the time, he and his family prepared to sail to the colonies. Luckily for Pynchon, he had a friendship with a man I've already mentioned, John Winthrop. And Pynchon was actually an associate, 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 associate of Winthrop in the royal patent for the Massachusetts Bay Colony that eventually settled in Boston. So he was part of the settlement, first going to Charleston, then to Boston. I wonder if he, no, you know what? That reminds me, he was actually a judge in the trial of Margaret Jones. He was a magistrate. Oh. Yes. That thought left me until this very moment. You ding, guys are ding, welcome. Ding, 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 ding. Small world. Small Especially world in the world. 1600s. So, Pynchon settled in Dor- Dorchester. Did I pronounce that right? Dorchester. Dorchester, which is a few miles south of Boston. This is where his wife, Anne, died, leaving Pynchon with four children. Sad, huh? So, <laughs> I want you to smack me every time I say so. I can do that. Will you just kick me? <laughs> throw, throw something at me, please. Pynchon became a merchant after going into business with John Winthrop, and he built a relationship with the Native Americans, trading beaver furs and exporting them to England. He had dreams of a better life in the West, working with the Native Americans, so he heard a place of rich soils along what they called the Quanetiquette. Quanetiquette? Quanetiquette. Quanetiquette. That's how it's spelled, Q-U. Or Long Tidal River, which became the Connecticut River Valley. Oh, okay. All right. That makes sense. I was yeah. like, wait, what? Is that not how you pronounce it? <laughs> I know. I was like, it, it's Connecticut River. Yeah. Okay. But that's the Native American word. And they called it fertile. It was rich soil. So I guess it was fertile soil. Fertile. Yeah. And as we both know that Springfield is right smack dab along the Connecticut River. So by 1645... Mary had been in service to Henry and Anne Smith for four years. Mary loved the four children that she looked after, but soon began to wish she had some of her own. I get it. She was lonely, and there were newcomers arriving every week, but one man caught her attention. She was captivated by this man, and he was (laughs) dark and mysterious. His name was Hugh Parsons. So there also isn't much known about Hugh Parsons either. Unless you were someone of status or involved in, involved in court proceedings, it is difficult to find any information out about people from back then. It's not like today where people put their whole lives on social media when we know what people are having for dinner and when they go to the bathroom. Pretty much. And you know, I think social media is such a great tool, but at the same time, it's a curse. <laughs> I am so glad I grew up before. Oh, absolutely. Can you imagine going through high school right now? It was tough enough. Yeah. I just know myself back then, and I it, I would have been an even hotter mess than yeah. I was. Hugh was a brick maker, which were few and far between in Springfield. When he arrived there, he was promised a four-acre homestead on the west side of Main Street, as well as a wetland to the east and a six-acre woodlot and planting ground across the Connecticut River. So where West Springfield is oh, today. Oh, how cool. Yeah. Um, He also received a share of the Long Meadow, which was seven acres for planting crops four miles south of his homestead. I wonder where that is. I wonder. (laughs) Probably Long Meadow in East Long Meadow, (laughs) Massachusetts. Mary wasn't the only one that was captivated. Hugh had also noticed Mary, and their courtship began. Mary confessed to Hugh about her previous marriage and had to go to Pynchon for permission to get married again, because technically she was still married. Oh, yeah. Pynchon was unsure how to proceed, 
as Mary had proof that she was deserted by her previous husband. How do you prove that? Good question. There was a man that she knew that was involved in that religious group before she came over. Ah, okay. And he testified that, yes, she was saying that he deserted her back then and that she had sent people to look for him and couldn't find him. Oh, so that was okay. proof that he deserted her. So Pynchon was unsure how to proceed, so he actually had to go to the governor of the colony, John Winthrop, for approval. Can you, can you imagine, like, having to go to the governor to, for approval to get married again? I mean, I get it because it was a second marriage. Yeah. So they were eventually allowed to marry on October 27, 1645. After a small ceremony and celebration, they f- spent their first night together as husband and wife. Oh. <sighs> True love. (laughs) They had reached their earthly paradise in America, which they both traveled so far to reach. So how did they go from their paradise to both being tried for witchcraft? That is the big question. And we will find that out on next week's episode as the witchcraft hysteria continues. You're going to leave us hanging like that? Pretty much. What am I gonna it's do? a cliffhanger. Hey? It's, it's a cliffhanger. Oh. <laughs> it's like watching the first episode of a show, and you're like, oh, and that will come out next week. It's like, oh. I want the the wanderers to keep coming back. I know. Please come back. Please. <laughs> next week, we'll learn more about these Parsons as well as the other Parsons of Northampton. Love it. I'm so excited. Yes. We will see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Thanks for listening today. This show wouldn't be possible without our amazing producer and editor, Rob Fitzpatrick, who works tirelessly behind the scenes to bring you the best content. And a special thanks to Taiga Soundprod for providing the captivating intro music, Cinematic Intro 24. And of course, we can't forget the hauntingly beautiful outro music, Rhino's Theme, composed by Kevin McLeod. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast platforms like Spotify, Apple, and YouTube. Your feedback means the world to us. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram for behind-the-scenes glimpses, updates, and more thrilling content. You can find us at Wicked Wanderings Podcast. Thank you so much for listening and being part of our Wicked Wanderings community. We appreciate each and every one of you. Stay curious. Keep exploring. And always remember to keep keep on wandering. wandering. Get ready to rock your style with Wicked Wanderings. Introducing our brand new merch. Cozy up in our Wicked hoodies. Or flaunt your vibe in our sweet ass t-shirt. Join the Wicked Wanderings crew, explore the mysterious, and head to our merch store now. The link is in the show notes below. 